Second Peter chapter two, all the way in the New Testament towards uh, towards the end. Second uh, Peter chapter two, and we're going to begin reading right there in verse eighteen. But I just want to remind you of a few things this morning. Actually, the, the title of our message this morning is reminders. And before we get too deep into that, I, I know that. I know that we're full in here and I know there's probably maybe some uncomfortableness in here and maybe going through some of our minds and or maybe there's not. But I just ask that uh, we're, we're here. So let's focus on the Lord this morning. Let's focus on worshiping the Lord and, and lifting him up this morning, because that's truly why we're here. We're truly to uh, lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And I, and I pray that's the reason why you're, you're here this morning. I pray that's the reason why you came. And if it's not, you can make that the reason even this even this very moment. Uh, so. Second Peter chapter two, verse 18. And while you're turning there, if you're already there, I want to re- I want you to keep your thumb there and look at verse 13 of chapter one. Look at verse 13 of chapter one, which is one of a, our source text, if you remember, from the first sermon of this month. Uh, Peter wrote, I think it's meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you. In remembrance, by putting you in remembrance. So, if you recall, for those of all those of y'all who've been through here uh, for the last month or so, God through Peter, God through the Apostle Peter, wanted the original readers of the uh, of the Epistle of Peter to be reminded of some truths, to be reminded of some truths, uh, to know some things that will benefit them greatly. And God wants the same thing for us. This 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 Bible here is. You know, we talked about it last week. The the Word of God is forever settled. In heaven, so this word is is real for us today. So last week we began a sermon entitled "Reliable Reminders," and today we're going to look at part two of "Reliable Reminders." Last week, just to bring us up to date, because it kind of it kind of kind of goes together here. Uh, I mentioned that there will be three reminders then, and then there will be three reminders today. Well, there's going to be four reminders today. Uh, the Lord just wanted wanted to add another one in there. I hear some of you laughing out there because you know how I do that quite often. Um, and, and in reality, there are many more. There are many more uh, reminders in here. But if you also remember, these reminders are spiritual footholds. As you're like climbing a mountain and they're, they are rock face anchors that you can hold on to that you can put your whole weight on. These are truths that will not change. You can trust your life on them. And some of these reminders that Peter is telling us are reassuring truths, but some are some unfortunate truths. But either way, we need to be reminded and we need to take heed to them. Last week, we looked at an unwavering word, excuse me, an unwavering word, the word of God, the perfect word of God. We looked at an urgent warning from from Peter about false teachers and false speakers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. And those false teachers will bring in some heresies that the Bible warns us about, the Lord warns us about. But we were also reminded, y'all, if I remember, we talked about Noah and Lot and how God is able to deliver the righteous from temptations. And he's able to deliver us today. And today we will approach some of these same truths, but from a different perspective. We looked at it at like this angle last week, and now we're going to like change angles, if you will. Same truth, different perspective, sort of like the Gospels. Um, same truth, but different, uh, different perspective. And in chapter 2... If y'all remember also from last week, I know we got a lot of reminders here this morning about reminders. Uh, but Peter introduced to us a few traits about false speakers, a few traits of false teachers and, and false prophets, uh, which was the source text of the warning that we talked about last week. And we will continue in that warning in our second point today, again, from a slightly different aspect. Uh, 
But I first want to begin this morning. We're going to begin reading here in verse 18 here in a moment. But I want to begin with the impact that these false teachers, these false preachers, these false speakers have on society. Last week, we kind of looked at how they, what kind of impact they had on saved people. Today, we're going to look at the impact they have on society. And to be clear up front, as we read this text, before we read this text, our first reminder this morning is that we must have a firm salvation. We must know that we're saved. And it seems like I've hit on that a lot this week, but I think Second Peter hits on that a lot this week. We must have a firm salvation. Peter is writing about the impact that these false speakers have on society. False speakers. Johnny, want to hit the next thing about there? It's not working up here again. So let's begin reading without further ado. Verse 18 of chapter 2. And we'll read down through a little bit of verse or chapter number 3. But verse 18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, this is those false speakers, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9 says, But the Lord, or the Lord, is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we've already mentioned you a, a, a number of times this morning. Lord, we've read your holy word. And Lord, I prayed here for a moment, maybe for 30 or 40 more minutes. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we just, that you help us, Lord, to ignore the world for a moment. Ignore the, the sounds of the world and ignore the noise that keeps us from you. Lord, help us to ignore the, the agendas for tomorrow. Help us to ignore the stresses of yesterday. And Lord, just for a moment, Lord, help us to meet with you. Help us to see you high and lifted up. Lord, help us to have our hearts opened so that we can be closer to you and be more like you, Lord. Lord, help me as I preach what you've given to me, Lord, from your holy word. Help me to hide behind the cross and at the same time be part of the message. 
Lord, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. And I thank you for loving us. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we want to begin with a firm salvation. Why do I say this? Because Peter begins with a firm salvation over and over. He begins this epistle actually with the thought of being saved. And he's going to warn us about some things. He has warned us about some things. He is writing to the saved in the beginning. Actually, in the whole epistle, he's writing to the saved. And I just want to make sure that we are saved, that you know. And, and maybe that's too simple this morning. Maybe that's too simple to know that we have a no-so salvation, that no matter what, the winds of this world may turn. They may drift here and there. Things might change. Things, I mean, look, look where we're in mass today. I mean, look at what's going on in the world and the news and German news and American news and any other news. Things are moving that we never thought would move. Make, it, make sure your salvation is firm because the truth doesn't move. I want you to pay attention real quickly to verse number 22 of that passage, uh, of chapter 2. The Bible says, The dog is turned to his own vomit. <clears throat> In other words, I want to point out that all these things that Peter talked about here, this person that he's speaking of is not a Christian. They were not truly saved. The dog returned to his vomit. Vomit. This dog may have looked like a lamb, but he or she was only wearing sheep's clothing. Still a dog. Notice the parallel verse in chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 4. I like go back and forth here. Verse 4 of chapter 1 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, verse 4, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now go back to verses 18 through 20 now, back in chapter 2. We're going to go back and forth here. I want to teach some things. Uh, verse, four, or verse 18 says, For when they speak, that's the false teachers again, great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, the servants of sin, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So there are some similarities there, yes? They are the recipients in, in chapter 1, and then there are some recipients in, in chapter 2. And they're both a recipient of a promise, some promises. Verse 4, we are, who are saved, are recipients of a faithful promise, great and exceeding, precious promises. And verse 19, I submit to you, is a false promise, a false promise. But notice also in both passages that both Groups have escaped the pollutions and or the corruptions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there is something missing in verses 18, 19 and on. They are not partakers of the divine nature. They are not partaker, partakers of the divine nature. Look again at verse number four, that these that by these, those precious promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature. Peter could have easily wrote that in there, but they were not. He didn't write it in there because they were they were not divine partakers. They are lost. Oh, they know the way. They even look the part. They walk the part. They look just like believers. They look like us. Some of them could be us. But they are not the real deal. They do not have a firm salvation. 
They are akin to the thorny soil that Jesus talked about in his parable of the sower, an emotional Christian. And when they get offended, they turn. They turn. Friends, I got to be honest with you. The world today is filled with emotional Christians. And just from my short experience here as a pastor of a few years, I've learned that emotion doesn't last very long. Emotion never goes all the way. Our salvation cannot be based on emotion. It cannot be based on a feeling. It's got to be based on the word of God. But these these folks here, these unbelievers who who pretend they are believers, they are just emotional. They are short lived, easily led astray. Listen, I, I didn't write this. Peter wrote this. And verse 18 says that when a false speaker comes, those who are close to Christ, but not in Christ are going to be led away. Right? Do we, I hope we see that. Those who, are, who think they're in Christ are going to be led away from Christ. People who look and act like Christians, maybe even people you know, again, maybe even people here today, they're going to be allured away with great swelling words about the things that appeal to them. And what do we call great swelling words of vanity today? How would we put that in words today? Maybe hype? Propaganda? Empty promises? Is it just me or does reading 2 Peter seem like we're reading the evening newspaper today? <laughs> I realize there are a lot of things this world has to offer like technology and, and, you know, I like iPads and Apple and even Microsoft. They're okay, I guess. I like driving fast on the Autobahn. It's great. I love technology. Just make sure you accept the best offer. The world has a lot to offer. Make sure you accept the best offer. And that offer is the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is not reminding his readers because he didn't have anything better to do. The Holy Spirit of God inspired him. Peter literally gave his life for this message. We, we see that right there in chapter 1. He, he knew that he was going to die with this message. His life truly became a part of the message. And very clearly this morning, I want to just say a few things that are, that are just black and white, abundantly clear. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior. He died for the sins of the entire world. Every single person, no matter what color, what culture, no matter where we came from, Jesus is the Savior of the entire world. He died paying for your sins, and He died paying for my sins. And for all of humanity, regardless again from where you are from, without Christ, you will die someday and go to a hell that's prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not even prepared for you. To go there would be a, to go against God's will. And whosoever will can come to Him. Whosoever will. Whoever wants to can receive the gift of salvation. Think about that for a moment. Whatever, what other gift in this world, even lesser than Jesus Christ, of course, can say, whosoever can have this gift. I mean, any gift, right? Whosoever, Jesus says, whosoever can come, can come unto Jesus Christ. That means you, that means your father, that means your mother, that means your children, that means anybody. Whosoever, doesn't matter if you're full of pride, doesn't matter where you're at in this life. Jesus says, come, I will forgive it all. Done. Paid for. Already paid for. On the cross. Whosoever will can come. All we must do is repent, which is turn directions, and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a simple-minded preacher. I read Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and it says this. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
That's pretty black and white to me. That's simple. Based on the authority of just one verse, I know, because I've confessed Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm saved. I have a home in heaven. No matter what moves here left and right, no matter how much, if we close tomorrow, if the end of the world's tomorrow, I have a home in heaven because nothing changes for me. Jesus Christ is my master. I hope he is yours. Trust him today. Make sure you have a firm salvation. Make sure that you are saved and that you know you are saved. But not only is being saved the very best thing that can ever happen to you, knowing that you're saved, having that firm grasp on salvation is the best defense against false speakers. The best defense. I mean, what's the best defense against a lie? How do you know if somebody's telling you a lie? Because you know the truth. If you know the truth and you know they're lying, you pick up on that lie just like that. But if you don't know the truth and they're lying to you, how do you know what's true or not? Know the truth. What's Jesus say? The truth shall make you free. And we'll talk about some of that freedoms here in a moment. Peter here reminds us of the reactionary lifestyle of those who look like they are saved. They're vacillating back and forth from decision to decision. They look like they're saved, but they're, they're being tossed and to and fro. And he says, like in verse 10 of chapter 1, that we must make diligent or give diligence to make our election sure. We must know that we are saved. Friends, it, I promise you it changes. But we've talked about this many times. Uh, think of a, of a soldier going onto the battlefield. If you knew you were coming home, would that change your actions a little bit? Would you believe? I mean, you know that no matter what, God has told you you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And even if he didn't tell you that, he's giving you that, that inner spirit. You're going to come home from this battle. Man, you're like invincible. Well, we have a spiritual battle that God has made us invincible. We are immortal. We have a no-so salvation. We have a God who's sent his only begotten son, who's died for us and paid it all. Make sure you're saved. But Peter also reminds us again of these false speakers. Over and over he goes, he tells us about God, he tells us about the speakers. The word and the world, back and forth. Notice, notice again chapter 3. Look at the first few verses there. This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of, uh, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days walking after their own lusts. So he now is warning us, reminding us of these scoffers, these false speakers, if you will. Up until this point, in, the, in the, the epistle here, in pretty much all of chapter 2, Peter has made a successful case, if, if, if you ask me, proving that these naysayers, these people with all these other agendas that are against God, they are not trustworthy. Remember, if you're, last, last week we talked about chapter 2. Every single verse talks about the wickedness of those in this world who are not of God. Every single verse. And in this passage that we read today in chapter 3, he reminds us that it's not just him that's reminding us. He's saying that the Old Testament prophets have reminded you of the same things. Jesus Christ reminded you of the same things. And now from the apostles of Jesus Christ, we are also reminding you of these same things. In fact, the apostle Paul would later write in 2 Timothy 3, his last letter, mind you, he says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. I know that's contrast to the world today. We're getting better. Technology is making a whole lot of things better. And again, I'm not against technology. I love technology. But here is getting worse. They will wax worse and worse, the Bible says. Peter writes that we should be mindful of the fact 
that there shall come in the last days scoffers, scoffers walking after their own lust. This gets very interesting. Walking after their own lust. To scoff means to mock or to make fun of. To speak falsely with the purpose of derision. Do we see that today? We definitely see that today. But notice that these false speakers, they don't just mock the mock. They are walking after their own lust. They have an agenda. There is an agenda here. Their behavior is in accordance with their desires. They are walking after their own lust. They are mocking after their own desires. They, there shall come in the last days, if you will, scoffers with a purpose. And what is that purpose? To mock the promises of God. Wow. Saying, look at verse 4. Saying, where is the promise of His coming? Verse 3 and 4. There's mockers coming and they're going to mock God's promises. I think we're living there. I think we've always been living there, but it's waxing worse and worse. We're going to read in a moment that they will not just mock His promises, but they will also mock His Word and His creation. They will mock just about anything to continue in their alluring of those who are on the fence about salvation in Jesus Christ. I want to just point out, as we're going through these texts, we're not only going to talk about them, because we really can't do anything about them. We can do a lot about us. We can change our, our nature. So don't get lost in the them. We're not a, we're not a them preaching church. We're a Christ preaching church. We're, we're a word preaching church. And we're going to talk about these because Peter talks about them. But look at them through the lens of what does that have to do with me? How can I change this? Instead of, because we're, we're ever a, danger, a dangerous place, especially in America today. We look, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Them guys are just something else. And I'm not here to do that this morning. I'm here to preach the Word of God and to look at the warnings that God's given us. So remember, these, these false speakers, they're going to speak swelling words, words full of nothingness. He talks about clouds with no water, right? Why have a cloud with no water? He talks about wells with no water. Jude uses a lot of the same terminology later on. Wells with no water, that's what they are. They have no purpose. Well, not, no, not any godly purpose anyway. And they will come with these swelling words, full of nothingness, to sway those who would be Christians, mocking the promises of God. And this is, this is very interesting. If they are going to mock the promises of God, one may wonder, what do they promise? If they're going to make fun of somebody else's promises, well, I mean, if maybe I'm an... Maybe I'm on an elementary playground and, and, and somebody's coming along and they're making fun of somebody else, what they're saying, right? That's kind of like what we're looking at here. And the, maybe the thought crosses your mind, well, what if you're making fun of them, what's your story? What, what, are, what did you promise? Look at, we don't have to wonder too long. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Verse 19 of chapter 2 says, they, says that they promised them liberty, who they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of, a whom, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. So they promise them liberty. I hope that rings a bell. <laughs> Not the liberty bell. But I hope it just resonates in our hearts that they are promising liberty. And it's no surprise that they're promising these things. Remember Genesis chapter 3? God gave man liberty to live forever. And Satan came along and promised them liberty and brought death. Black and white, very clear. So these false speakers are just following their master. 
And while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. They promise liberty, but they are the servants of sin. They are the servants of death. There is no liberty. And here's the kicker. It's a lie anyway. They have no liberty. There is no liberty in sin. There's no liberty in sin. 1 Corinthians 3.17 states where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So there's no real liberty in sin. It might seem like liberty, but it's not. Because liberty without Christ is a front. It's a facade. The pleasures of sin only last for a season. God is eternal. God is eternal. And God's promises are eternal. Remember, they are exceeding. His promises are exceeding great and precious. Look at that, the last half of verse 19 again of 2 Peter chapter 2. For, this, was, this hit me like a ton of bricks. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. These false teachers have beguiled many by promising them something that they themselves do not have, namely liberty, resulting in more servants of corruption. Because of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought in bondage. Think about this. If I am overcome by empty or pernicious promises, the Bible says I myself become a servant of corruption. But think about this. If I am overcome by precious promises, I become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I have resolved, me personally, to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be all in. To be overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's better to be overcome by Christ, even if it's only based on His promises. Because His promises are simply better. And they're true. And they're faithful. But there's so much more to just believing in His promises. There is a relationship that comes with that. And these false, these false teachers, these scoffers, they have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with the Creator. That's different. That means something. That's something this world cannot offer. Have a relationship with your creator. Now, we are much more than Legos, right? So, but if we were to create a Lego person, we can't have a relationship with that Lego person. But God has created us in his image so that we could have a relationship. Lego people is the best the world can come up with. God God created all of this so that we can have a relationship with Him. Again, it's better to be overcome by Christ, even if it's just for the promises, because they're better. These false speakers, they may do their best to sway as many people as they can away from Christ. And if your anchor, if your anchor is in anything less than Christ, I promise you, you will be moved. You will be moved. But if you're standing on the rock, that does not move. If your hope is an eternal hope that goes beyond the grave, and your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your anchor will never move. It's fixed. It is fixed. Your anchor will hold. So as Christians, don't be overcome by the rhetoric of this world. Don't be overcome by the empty promises or fake, or fake stuff that the world throws at it. It's all Hype, it's propaganda, it's swelling words. Wells without water. Don't fall for it. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. The same today, yesterday, and forever. But Peter also reminds us that they won't just mock the promises of God. 
they will mock the word of God. Look at verses 4 through 7 again of chapter 3. They're saying, where, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the, of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, of ungodly men. Now we see, so at first we, we talk about a firm salvation. We need to have that. Then Peter reminds us of these false speakers, these scoffers. And now he reminds us of some fake science, some false science. You know, when Paul again signed off his first letter to Timothy, he did so with these words. He said, O Timothy, last, last passage in 2 Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Fake science, false science, false teachers. Listen, I, I'm not a scientist. But I know that book and I trust that book. And there are some things that just doesn't just doesn't go to well, just doesn't go the way we understand science today. Let's look at these things. There is a question here. And that question is, where is the promise of his coming? And then there's a statement. There's a statement that says all things continue as they were from the beginning. This is them. Where is the promise of his coming? And all things continue as they were from the beginning. We'll come back to the question. Let's look at this statement. All things continue as they were from the beginning. In the realm of science, this is called uniformitarianism. It is the simple conclusion that we, what we see scientifically in the present is the key to understanding the past. Does that make sense? What we see today is the key to understanding what's in the past. That's uniformitarianism. In other words, if we observe the speed of a certain object in the present, and we have a strong evidence suggesting the starting point of that object, then by the current, I know we're getting into math here, right? By the current rate of speed, we can deduce that to get from point A to point B, it took 10 minutes, right? Or it took a million years or it took five billion years. That's uniformitarianism because the speed never changes. All things continue as they were. But there's just one problem with this conclusion. It's not in the Bible. Look at verse four again. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. They willingly are ignorant of. The earth standing out of the water and in the water is a reference to creation week. We see the separation from the land and the water right there in the first six days of creation. And then we see the world that then was here in Peter being overflowed with water perished. What could that be a reference to? It has to be a reference to the flood of Noah's time. In other words, Peter is saying, and Paul and many other passages, all things have not continued since the beginning as they were. It's just not in there. It's not happening. And any study of this planet, so any study of this planet and all the things in this planet must take into account a worldwide flood and the creation of the world according to Genesis chapter 1. The fact that these scoffers are willingly ignorant means that they know what they're doing. That means there's truth. I don't want to know the truth. So I'm going to have my own. I'm going to follow my own ways. 
These false teachers, they do these things. And verse 5 states that the word of God brought this world into existence. And that same word in verse 7 keeps this world in existence. So if a mocker comes along and says that's not the case, not only are they mocking God, they're mocking the word of God. They're poking fun at the word of God. They poked fun at his promises. Now they're poking fun at the words of God. And they're doing so in the name of science. What's worse is that they are beguiling many. They are alluring many away from the truth, even believers, to follow their pernicious ways with their empty promises while making a mockery of the Word of God. Listen, I didn't write this. It's, it's so much easier just to go along with the flow, is it not? Isn't it great to be, as we say in, in Tennessee, just hunky-dory. Everything's just awesome. But it's just not in this world. It's just not. Either this book is true or it is not. And I believe that it's true. As a matter of fact, if you were to take this and measure up to man's idea of how the world began or how things, how things happen, this will over and over and over prove to be true. Why do we update our science books? Hmm. This is not updated. This is not updated. They make a mockery of the Bible. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Through covetousness, they with feigned words, empty words, fake words, deceiving words, make merchandise of you. Who's Peter writing this to? Us. Believers. Make merchandise of believers. Friends, we must keep it simple. When in doubt, trust the book. Trust the word of God. And don't be their merchandise. You've already been bought. You belong to somebody else. You're somebody else's treasure. You are not for sale. Don't follow it. And then lastly, I want to address their faithless question. And we'll kind of come to a close here. Their faithless question. What is their question? Where is the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? Well, that might be a faithless question, but we have a faithful Savior. We have a faithful Savior. So their question again, where is the promise of his coming? God's answer, verse 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. The Lord is not slack. The Lord's not coming back. On this side, God says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Don't buy their hype. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So after Peter reminds us of their willful ignorance and how the world was and how it has not continued the same since the beginning, he addresses that ignorance. It is like they're saying, the naysayers, if you will, it's been, it's been thousands of years or even millions of years and your Lord hasn't returned. What makes you think his promises are valid? And verse 8, I like the way verse 8 begins. It says, but beloved, but beloved. Peter, even though he talks a lot about these naysayers, he never addresses them. He always addresses us. He addresses the believers. He says, don't be ignorant like them. God's not bound by time. God is not bound by time. God is outside of time. He created time. A day, a year, a thousand years. It doesn't matter to God. 
It's all the same to God. He's omnipresent. That, don't, that just doesn't mean he's here and there. That means he's here and there everywhere, then, now, and forever. He's everywhere. Omnipresent. Outside of time. If this is the beginning and the end, God is here. He can be here, 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 here. And he is here, here. It's, he's outside of it. He created time. Now, when God deals with man, he gives man some time periods. Even in the morning, we're a first day. He gave us week and years, the signs and the season, the stars and all those things in the Bible there. He communicates to us in this world, or in his word here, in the realm of time that he created for us. Now think about this. Did God create time for himself or did he create time for us? He created time for us. So when he talks to us about days and years and things like that, it's not so he can understand it. It's so we can understand it. Because let's be honest, we don't have a grasp on eternity. We, we don't know what it means. We, we have we got some ideas, but we have no idea. I guess that's we have some ideas, but no idea. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> God certainly doesn't need to use time. He is eternal. He created it for us. And to say that a day is equal to a thousand years based on this verse or the fake science written above it is a direct and unfortunate misinterpretation of Scripture. Verse 10 says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. The day he comes will not actually be a thief. He will come as a thief. He will not be a thief when he comes, but as a thief. And he will no more be a thief, or he will not be a thief no more than a day is a thousand years here. Peter is making an argument here that you're using time to judge God's return. God says, I'm outside of time. I'll come when I want to come. Not based on your timeline, based on mine. And the focus of this passage is therefore not a loophole for theistic evolution. It's a focus on faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness. We have a faithful Savior. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness. Why? Because He's long-suffering. How many are thankful that He's long-suffering? I mean, there was a time that I wasn't saved. There was a time that I didn't know Jesus Christ. Praise God. He is long-suffering. He is long-suffering toward, uh, toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, one of the reasons that God tarries is because He greatly desires, with a real desire, not a secret will, not some mystical thing, but with a real desire for every single person to trust Him. He has a real desire for all to come to Christ. So there's no need to question his promise of return. He is faithful. He will come through. He is more faithful. He is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is faithful. In the meantime, whether it's five minutes or 50 years, we simply have to trust him. We trust his word. We worship our Savior. He's either real to us or he's not real to us. Is he real to you? Is he really your savior? Is he just a check on the block? Is he just your, is your Bible just on the shelf and you only break it out on Sundays? Is he your real savior? He is as real to me as my wife is real to me. Even more. Because I love him more. And she loves him more. Is he real to you? Make sure you have a no-so salvation. And as we continue, in this life we must trust him. And if you're not, there's still hope. There's still hope for your parents. My mother-in-law is still not saved. We pray for her every day. There's still hope for her. 
As long as there, there's air in her lungs and the Lord's not returned, there's hope for my mother-in-law. And there's hope for you. And there's hope for your friends. And there's hope for all the lost ones. As long as God tarries and as long as you breathe, there's hope because he's faithful. And he's not willing that any should perish. He's waiting. And one of the best reminders that we have is that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Let that sink in. Actually, if you're, if you're remembering anything from this message, remember that Christ died for you and that the promise that comes with that repentance, if you turn to him, will never break because God keeps his promises. He didn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth in him. Shall not perish, but have what? Temporary life? A life only if you live perfectly? Everlasting life. That's a promise from God. Everlasting life. Last Sunday, we were reminded of the unwavering word, an urgent warning, and an unlimited warranty. Today, we were reminded by Peter to have a firm salvation. That there are false speakers with false science who will attempt to deceive even the very elect, even us. But also that we have a faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A faithful, long-suffering Savior who is waiting and not willing that any should perish. Come today. Let's pray.